You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hey everybody, hope that you are doing well. We are in our second part of the series that we started last week entitled The Church, and we're walking through lessons from the book of Acts. This week we have guest speaker Rachel Gilligan, who is our kids director here at Faith Chapel, and she brought an incredible word. So why don't we jump in and listen to what she had to say. So my name is Rachel, um, and I do, so I'm, I'll throw up a quick picture. I love getting to come speak here because I also get to show off my family. So um, that's my husband, Josh. We've been married, we'll be married for five years in the spring. Um, And then that is my son, Crosby. He is two and a half. He acts like he's 13, though. Um, This weekend, he said to my husband and I, you guys never give me what I want. I was like, first off, how do you know how to put those words together? <laughs> Second off, when did you become a 17-year-old? You're so mean. <laughs> so, um, so I'm an average mom in his eyes. Um, and then the little one is Wells, and he is three months old. So just fresh little babe for the fam. So we're very excited to have them. They're great. Um, So I'm excited because last week, uh, Evan started the series on Acts, and so I get to continue that on. And when he told me what I could talk about, he said anything from chapters three through five, which that's a lot of ground to cover in Acts. And I was like, I'm not going to do it because three starts with this amazing healing and five ends with like two, a couple burning in flames. And so I was like, feels like a big jump. So we're going to focus today just on Acts three through 10. And um, for those of you who weren't here last week or just a little refresher, Acts um, is the Acts of the Apostles. So the disciples of Jesus and how they are going to continue on and grow the church after Jesus has left. Um, Last week, Evan talked about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is, how Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit and how Jesus has given the disciples the Holy Spirit to help empower them, guide them, convict them, and kind of speak through them as they're building the church. So then the rest of of Acts is in the framework that these people have the Holy Spirit within them and they are acting through the Holy Spirit to build their church. So um, one of the, before we start reading, just two things that I want us to think about and have been super helpful for me in my own walk, in my own studying of the Bible, because I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church and I went to youth group and all of that. And so I've always had someone tell me how I should read the scriptures or what these passages should mean or what the Bible stories are. And so when I was not a part of that in college on my own, reading the Bible was really daunting. Like it was hard to know like, okay, I'm going to read this, but now what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to like get anything, have any kind of original thought when I'm reading this? So two thoughts that have really helped me to kind of tips, study tips that have helped me is one that the original text wasn't broken up into chapters and sections. So when you're reading, and so I'm starting at Acts 3, I need to look at Acts 2. I need to look at Acts 4. That's all one story. And so it's important to kind of gain, gather the context from before and after in the passages we're reading. Um, second is that, I know this is going to sound really obvious, but that the Bible is a book. 
And yes, they were inspired in their God's words, but they were written by authors who had purpose, that had an audience that they were writing to. And so when we're reading the scripture, we need to think about why would the author write this? Who are they writing for? What does this mean in this context? And so that you can gain the, like, the true meaning of it. Because I've just always struggled with why, okay, this is what's in there. They probably wrote every single thing that ever happened in all of history, and that's how the Bible was made. But the authors of the Bible had an editing process. They made sure that the things that were in the Bible, the words, the descriptions, the stories they tell are specific and meaningful in that specific area. So it's important that we think about that and remember that, that it's not just like uh, it started here, here's everything that happened. It's I have chosen specifically to have this story, to have this sentence, to have this detail added in to this book of the Bible. And so it is purpose that I, the author, and more that the Lord wanted us to have as we were reading this. So with those two things in mind, um, we're going to read Acts 3 through 10. But we're going to look at, in chapter 2, verses 43, it, talks, it says that many of the people were in awe of the many wonders and signs performed by the disciples. Meaning that they received the Holy Spirit and then they went out and they started doing amazing signs and wonders that the people were seeing and watching. Okay, and now jump to chapter 3. They're going to give us a specific story of a healing. So as I was thinking through that, that really stood out to me. That they already told us they've done a ton of many signs and wonders. And now they're going to give us a really specific detail story about this one healing. Why this one healing? Why is that important that we hear the full story of what happens with this man? And so that's one of the ways that we can kind of start gaining meaning and understanding through text is asking those questions. Why would this be important? And one of the reasons I think it could be important is because while it's an amazing story of what um, Peter and John were able to do in the power of the Holy Spirit and it helped the church grow significantly, I think there's a lot we can also learn from the beggar himself and how that relates to us. And so how the beggar, his routine, what we can learn about his life, what we can learn about his interaction with the disciples, and then his reaction and his response to being healed. So those are the things we're going to focus on today. So I want us to read Acts 3, 1 through 10. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When Peter and John about, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking his right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all of the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who, was used, who used to sit begging at the temple, the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
So like I said, we're going to focus specifically in on the beggar and what we can learn from him. So the first thing I want us to think about is his routine. So in the beginning of the text, it says that every day this man was brought to the temple gates to beg for money. And specifically that word, every day. So a couple things that we can infer and think about as we hear that is that, one, it must have been successful to beg in front of the temple courts because he wouldn't have done it every day if it hadn't been if it hadn't helped fill his daily needs but the fact that he had to do it every day he went there every day to beg tells us that maybe he wasn't getting much more than his daily needs filled that he did have to go back and so while it was a great place it was also still a requirement, and he had to go there and continue to get his needs filled there through begging. And that he had friends, and friends that weren't good enough to help him in any other way, but nice enough to carry him to that temple gate every day. And so every day they did. They set this routine. I'm sure he would get up, his friends would come, they'd carry him over to the gate, they would leave, he would beg all day, and then they'd come back and carry him back. And so this routine over and over of just getting daily needs felt, filled while still having this disability that made him not be able to work, not be able to go anywhere else but this gate. And it's interesting because I think about my own life and the, the routines and the rituals that I start to make over and over that aren't especially helping or hurting me, but they're the same thing in the life that I'm setting just over and over. And Christine Kane said it when, or said it like this, when we accept and accept that this is how things will always be, we build our lives around daily rituals that enable and ensure the life that we settle for. So this man was at a temple gate where people were coming in and out every day to pray to God, and he was asking for money. He wasn't asking for healing. He wasn't asking for a miracle. He was asking for money. So just enough to probably get some food, maybe a place to stay, but just that money, not that miracle. And we don't know. It doesn't tell us in the text if he maybe once used to ask for miracles. He used to ask for healings. We just know that right now, Every day he goes and he asks for money and that he's just trying to fill that daily need every day. And I think, I think when we look at our own lives, we have these daily rituals and things that are helping us fulfill the life we're settling for instead of looking towards the life that God wants us to have. Because God wants us to live life to the fullest, but we create routines that are just average enough. I know I, this is something I'm always battling. Should I, God would want, how can I live my life to the fullest? But am I actually doing that? Would it be living my life to the fullest to wake up early and get in the word and be in relationship with him and follow the spirit's leading? Or should I just go on my phone because I'm uncomfortable and that's easy? Because right now I'm playing this super fun game called Bubble Breaker. And I play it for like hours a day. And my husband's like, you're obsessed. And it's weird because it's the most simple game. I encourage you to look it up. And you'll be weirdly addicted. And it's nothing. 
it's a, literally a game of nothing. But that is so much easier than spending time reading my Bible or praying or trying to look and figure out what God has for me. So we get into these routines. And now that's kind of a lot of inferring and guessing what this man thinks. But there's something about his following interaction with the disciples that lead me to think that this might be kind of true of him. Because as we look at, we look at his interaction, so in verses 3 through 5, it says, When Peter and John about to enter, or when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting something from them. So as I read this chunk of chapter a couple times through as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't stop thinking about that. Why did they have to tell him to look at us if he was just speaking to them? If he had just asked for help, why did they all of a sudden have to say, no, look at us? And I think there's a couple different things that it could be. One, it could have just been a busy temple, and so they, it was just filled with people passing, and so he just asks people, and they just pass by. Or maybe he had already moved on to another person and was just hoping that maybe that was, they were a bust, and the next person will help them. Or maybe he was filled with the shame of being rejected, of having to ask for help, for being of just what his life had become and looked like. But what I know it can't be is it can't be that he just didn't see them looking at him because you know when someone is looking at you. It can be a crowded room and someone can be looking at you and you can feel it, right? Like, okay, my sister, I when I was in college, I lived with my sister, and she used to do this thing that she called smile me awake. So I would be sleeping like a human, and she would just stare at me like this <laughs> until I woke up, which is awful, so awful. I was deep in REM, and I just can feel this. And then I'd wake up, and it was just her smiling. She's like, oh, I smiled you awake. And I'm like, dude, that's so weird. And I, we're not living together anymore. Get out of here. And, so, and now poor, her poor husband, I am certain she does that to him. <laughs> but if, you, if I can be woken up by someone's eye contact, if you ask someone for help, and they look at you, you, you would feel that. You would know that someone is looking at you. So I would say he has made the deliberate decision to look away. He has asked for help and now he's looked away and they have looked at him and now they are calling him out and they're saying, look at us. And he's thinking, amazing. If someone is willing to not only look at me, but also say, look at us, I must be, I must be able to get something great from them. Because similar to our culture, the culture back then would say, if you're not going to help a beggar, you need to avoid eye contact at all cause. And I know that's true for our culture because we are more willing to get into a wreck in our car than we are to look at someone on the side of the road who's asking for help. And so, we, so they have this culture of just moving on past 
making it look like, acting like they didn't even see them. And I can imagine for years, every day, being ignored over and over, that rejection would start to weigh on you. That shame that you are in a place where people can pass by you and not care and know they're not going to help you would start to build up and would start to really affect you and what you have done. And the fact that he, didn't, he was born with this. This is something he was born with. And yet every day he is now feeling the shame and the rejection over and over of people not looking at him. But Peter and John are going to say, no, look at me, and I am going to help you. But I'm not going to help you how you think you should be helped. I'm going to help you how God wants to help you. And that's not to fix your immediate needs, to give you the money that you need. It is to solve your root issue, to actually give you a full healing. And I think that that can sometimes seem scary to us, that we've gotten comfortable, these rituals, these routines, that we have gotten comfortable in our shame, that we have gotten comfortable in being disregarded. And so it's easier to be that than it is to get that healing and get that help. And so we just go out every day looking for an immediate fix to our issues. Just something that's going to get us through the day, to get us through the week that's going to make us feel good instead of going through the process of being healed and transformed by the Lord. And I know for me in college, what that looked like was just an onslaught of really bad relationships. Because I grew up as a child, in high school, throughout, I mean, being a teenager is honestly the worst. You just spend all day thinking, I am not loved. I am not, I am not sufficient. There is no way that God could love me as I am right now. And maybe that's not people's issues. Maybe people have other struggles. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's trauma that happened as children that still weighed on them. But we allow ourselves to get weighed down, bogged down by this, and so then we go out looking for these immediate fixes. So I go out <laughs> and I think, you know who will love me? A boyfriend, and that will fill my attention need, that will fill my love need, that will, until they, once they figure out who I really am, it will be over, so that's fine. So I have just a roster and it is fun. First one, I was so insecure that um, he convinced me that, because I grew up in Portland and went to school at MSU, so I was like, I don't really want to go back to Portland for the summer. And my boyfriend at the time was like, well, I'm going to go work at Clyders. Do you want to work at Clyders with me? And I was like, yes, I want to work at Clyders. I have no idea what that is. I've never heard that word once, but yes, I do. And so you got up there for 10 weeks of the summer in the Boulder Valley with absolutely no service. And um, we got up there on a Sunday, and he dumped me on a Saturday. And he told me, I can never marry you. And I was like, I don't know anyone else in this camp. What are you? I called my parents on a pay phone. I was like, so, Mom, I was dumped, and I'm not doing well. <laughs> and she, and so I 
that rejection piled on even more, that I was already trying to do a quick fix, that I was just going to receive the love from this guy and that was going to be enough. I didn't have to settle my relationship with the Lord. And so that was going to be enough. And then that didn't work and I got to spend nine weeks with him, which if you want to feel sorry for me, I'd love that. (laughs) Because are you kidding? Nine weeks every day I got to see my ex-boyfriend and know he just dumped me like hard. (laughs) And that was fun. What a growing experience. (laughs) I went back to camp that next summer. He did not. That was fine. Uh, Another boyfriend I just didn't really even like that much. And I just broke up with him. And I'm sorry, that's so mean. But I just was like, I was like, yeah, I like this attention. And then we dated for a week. And I went, ooh, I do not like this attention. I'm out. Um, another one, when we were at parties, he would find pills on the ground. And then he would just take them. <laughs> ground pills. And if you are currently in a place right now where you are one, taking ground pills yourself, or two, in a relationship with someone who is taking ground pills in a, the floor of a party, talk to me after. Talk to Evan, talk to someone, because that is not the answer, okay? No ground pills. <laughs> And, and finally, gosh, ground pills. Sorry, I gotta take a sip of water. I got all worked up. And then finally, I was, I dated a guy, and it was actually in the middle of this. And one night he just got really drunk and he sexually assaulted me. And I know. I would hope within myself or with any of you that you would think that was the tipping point, that after that, then I would have realized that I deserve better or that I could be loved. But I, it wasn't after that. Actually, ground pills was after that, <laughs> which says a lot about where I was at. And just this pain and this hurt and this believing that I couldn't be truly loved. And I'm not trying to vi- like make these guys out to be villains because they weren't. They were all dealing with their own hurt and issues and trauma. And I'm sure they could stand up here and be like, I dated this crazy lady who got really mad about my ground pill thing. So <laughs> we just, we're all in process because we were all born with sin. We all have issues and it might be unique and different for every single person but we're all going to have to have things that we're facing and that we need help with and we need to look out and find Jesus because he is the one who's saying look at me I have something for you and it is not silver and gold it is not what you think is this immediate fix It is life. And so now I'm telling you, walk. Walk out of this. Walk towards me. Because getting your, just making yourself happy, quick fixes, that's not going to sustain you. What's going to sustain you is me. 
And so finally, I want us to just look at how this man was able to respond to his healing. So Peter and John, they tell him, we want, we have something, and in the name of Christ, Jesus, walk. And so he walks, and what he does, in verse 8 it says, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And that is such a great example of the response that we can have when we find this healing. The first thing that he does is he went with them into the temple court. So he joined in in the community immediately. He saw, he brought them freedom. He saw what Christ could do and he continues on with him, with them. He doesn't just leave, but actually throughout the whole next chapter, he stays with them. At one point it says he is holding on to them because when you've brought that, when you have that healing, you want to stay in the community of the people who are helping you and guiding you and getting to be a sounding board for you. So he goes with them. The second thing he does is he was walking and jumping because God had just healed his legs and now he's going out and using it. He is using what God has given him, what God has made whole in him. And that is what we get the privilege of doing as well, is if God has healed this hurt, this love, this insufficiency within you, you get to now go out and show people what it looks like to be whole in the Lord, to be healed in the Lord. And that's not boastful, that's exciting, that's amazing. It's showing people that you, have, you can have a different life in Jesus. And then finally, he praises God. Because actions are great, but words have power, and we get to go out and be thankful and have gratitude and share and praise with our Lord for what God has done. And so in all of those things, he has just this heart of thankfulness and community, and he is going out and showing people how God saves. And so this whole story, this whole short 10 verses that continue on to this amazing opportunity that now Peter and John have, because he's there and everyone's seeing him and they're like, isn't that the guy who was just begging? And he has just given the opportunity, the floor to Peter and John to preach. And they tell the story of Jesus. They talk about who he is, what he has done for us. And many people come to know the Lord that day. And then the officials hate it so much they throw him in jail and then they come in front of the officials and they get to preach more about who Jesus is who God is and that man is still there standing beside them and they say because we see that he is healed we know what you're saying is true and even if we don't like it we can't we can't keep you here we have to just let you go please don't preach about this anymore and Peter and John are like hmm, okay we're gonna keep doing that so sorry and on those days, just many people come to the Lord because of that man's willingness to go out and praise and be healed and not hide away or go off and do his own thing, but stay with them and show the power that the Lord has. And so for me, healing what healing looks like is messy and hard because I was blessed with an amazing husband, but I was not healed or ready 
by the time we were married. It took a year and a half into marriage for me to finally be at a conference in front of a bunch of strangers in this small like processing group. So it was down in California, you, had, you were in like a group of eight and there were people you had never met in your life. And then you were supposed to tell them your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets. And they are supposed to be there and help you heal and it is awful. Like, can you imagine anything worse? I will. Like, hi, my name's Rachel. Okay, so here's what happened to me. So I'm there and I finally get up the courage to tell them what happened with this guy, what happened that night and how I am certain that it couldn't have possibly been sexual assault because it was my fault. That if I had been more lovable, if I had been a better girlfriend, then that wouldn't have happened. And that if I had just been a better person altogether, none of these horrible relationships would have happened. And if we're thinking about eye contact, I'll tell you that whole time I was here because there was shame weighing me down. There was rejection weighing me down. And I had to stand there in a group of people I didn't know and say over and over and over, God loves me, this wasn't my fault. God, God loves me, this wasn't my fault. I couldn't even say it the first five times. The leader just had to say it for me. And she made me do it until I could look my eyes up. And that is what God is calling to you in your specific situation, that he loves you. And for some of you, it's not your fault. So look up because God is there looking at you, ready to give you the healing that you need, the healing that is only found in him, in his redemptive love and work. So he is saying, look up at me because I am ready. I'm ready for you. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and that doesn't mean it's not going to take a lot of work and a lot of pain, because it will. But then you get to go out, and you get to rejoice and be healed, and you get to have, and I will give you opportunities for you to share your story, not for your glory, but for God's. For God's glory, we get to go out and be healed. Will you guys pray with me? God, we just, we thank you for this evening, and you've brought a lot of different people into this room, Lord, and we don't know everything that they're going through, but you do, and you know the times in their life where there's been hurt, where there's been pain, and where they are now like the beggars on the, beggar on the road, and just looking for opportunities to get their daily needs met, to have an escape from the pain they're feeling but not actually looking to be healed. And so God, I just hope that you move in them right now, that you pray that you are here and that you just stir something in them that says, I wanna heal you, just look up. Just look up and know that I am here for you. So God, I just pray boldness for them. I pray boldness that they, they look up to you, that they pray that they are healed, that they are filled with community, they are filled with people that can meet them where they're at, that they can walk them through that process because we know you want that, that you want them to be healed, Lord. And so God, we just thank you. We just love you and we just praise you in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.